Okay. Uh, good evening. Uh, nice to be with you. Nice to be with the DYFI on this important day, which is the uh, day on which we commemorate um, the life and example of Comrade Che Guevara. Um, I'm very pleased to be with you, uh, not only because um, we're going to get to talk to Che, but uh, that we're talking to Che um, on the platform of the Democratic Youth Federation of India, uh, uh, the youth uh, key and important category in the life of Che Guevara. I want to not start with his life, but with his death. He was murdered by the Bolivian military and the CIA on the 9th of October, 1967. Um, as the uh, gunman was ready to fire on him, uh, he, is, he is said to have said, Che Guevara is said to have told the gunman, calm down, relax, uh, aim properly, shoot straight. Um, you're going to kill a man. Uh, you're going to kill a human being. Um, I want to start here because for Che Guevara, this idea of a human being or a man, uh, really a human being, is a key idea. Uh, in 1965, two years before he was killed, he wrote an essay for a Uruguayan magazine called Marcha, and the essay is called Man and Socialism in Cuba. This is a very moving and important essay. It's from this essay that you get um, the famous line that appears on memes and on posters. Che Guevara says, at the risk of seeming ridiculous, let me say that the true revolutionary is guided by great feelings of love. Um, he argues there uh, that socialism is a matter of making the individual feel more complete with much more internal richness and much more responsibility. Comrades, I start with this uh, piece of writing from Che Guevara and this line about socialism needing to make individuals feel more com complete because a very young man, a young actor, has taken his life in Bombay. Um, this is, of course, Sushant Singh Rajput. It's a very sad thing when a young person, a sensitive person, takes their life. Um, you may remember during the Kerala floods, he was very vocal in his solidarity and support for the people of Kerala. Uh, you may remember him from his films where he even talked about the question of suicide. Um, our socialism, as we learned from Che Guevara, is a socialism of love where we want uh, human beings to feel complete, not to feel broken. Uh, that is why it is our uh, responsibility uh, to make sure that we fight against social hierarchies of all kinds, against indignity of all kinds. Um, it is, in fact, a communist duty to fight against hierarchy, to make everybody feel complete. Um, you can't build a movement, you can't build a society if individuals are suffering. And so it's important for us to remember this line from Che Guevara. It is a matter of making the individual feel more complete with much more internal richness and much more responsibility. In other words, internal richness, the richness of what you are and what you bring to the world, but also much more responsibility to draw that individual into collective public action, to draw that individual into society. 
Uh, both of these are important. And that, I think, is a major lesson from Che Guevara. When he turns to his shooter, Mario, Mario Teran Salazar, and says to him, you're going to kill a human being. Aim straight. Um, you know, uh, calm down, aim straight. You're going to kill a human being. On the 9th of October, 1967, Che Guevara was taken from us. I recommend that uh, from the DYFI, an international campaign should begin to convert the 9th of December into the International Day Against the CIA. Uh, it would be a fitting way to remember Che Guevara. Now, I want to just talk about three things. Um, one is I want to talk about the prehistory of the Cuban Revolution and Che's life. Secondly, I would like to talk a little bit about the Cuban Revolution. And thirdly, I want to return to this idea of ethics, morality, and what Che Guevara called a living example. So these are the three things I'll do in the next 15 minutes. Firstly, Che was a restless person born in, um, in Rosario in Argentina. Um, born to parents who were adventurous people, people of the left themselves. Um, he very early on studied medicine largely because his own affliction was with asthma. He suffered terribly from asthma and therefore he went off and studied medicine. He befriended a, a person who was interested in leprosy, in struggling against leprosy and the two of them got on a motorcycle and they drove to Chile and then they tried to get up on their motorcycle, which collapsed in Chile. I mean, the book produced out of this is called The Motorcycle Diaries. But in fact, the motorcycle ride only took place between Argentina and Chile. The rest of the way, they either took, you know, hitched a ride on trucks or they went on buses or they, in fact, at one point took a raft down a river. Uh, there was no motorcycle for most of their journey. At any rate... Uh, they traveled around South America because Che was very interested in what was the rest of his continent like. He was always a soul who believed that his destiny was not in his country, in his city, but it was continental. And he traveled for the first time uh, in this way. Then he returns to Argentina, completes his medical training, and actually makes a second journey that's the most significant. This first journey is when Che opened his eyes to suffering. He met people in leper colonies. He met the poor, wretchedly poor in the Andes region. The Andes are the mountains that stretch from northern Chile, uh, well, most of Chile and all the way up to Colombia along the western flank of South America. So in the Andes region, he saw the wretched poverty, particularly of the native peoples of the continent, um, that moved him a lot. But it was this second journey during which he had his political education. He had encountered Marxism in his own house. He had read some Marx. He very slyly talked about the lessons of San Carlos, Santa Carlos, um, you know, uh, the Saint Carlos, Saint Carl, Karl Marx as a saint. Um, he had read some Marx. He understood Marxism. But it's in this second journey that he becomes truly political. Um, there was a revolution in Bolivia in 1952. Uh, che arrives in Bolivia shortly after the revolution. He sees the impact of the revolution on the people of Bolivia. He sees that a revolution has a mass cultural impact. In our societies, societies with wretched social hierarchy, in India you might imagine the hierarchy of caste, 
in South America, the hierarchy of the so-called colonial settler people, uh, the whites versus the Indians, horrible social hierarchy that um, had been set aside partly in the 52 revolution and people walked upright they seemed more um, you know ambitious more creative and so on che guevara understood in that the power of a revolution to create human beings you know uh, that you're not necessarily because you're born a human being you have to be made a human being and the power of a revolution makes people human he understood that from bolivia after the 52 revolution then he goes up to guatemala in guatemala um, he meets a peruvian radical her name is hilda uh, they marry hilda is a, a communist hilda is a member of a political party from peru she is a marxist she teaches Che Guevara um, the uh, importance of praxis, of getting involved, of not only reading, but also being involved. Being involved in building political organizations, being involved in giving people confidence. The building of political organizations is a central lesson for a young person. You see, there's one thing to come from suffering, experience suffering, be angry and want to change the world. That's one aspect of social development you say i want to change the world it's quite another thing to understand from that i want to change the world but in order to do so how am i going to go forward i need to have an organization i cannot change the world by myself i cannot change the world alone the world is not going to change by itself the requirement the necessity of an organization was learned by Che Guevara when he was in Guatemala and he learned that lesson from Hilda Gadea, um, the woman who brought Che essentially to communism. In 1954, while Che and Hilda were living in Guatemala, there was a coup d'etat against the government of Jacob Arbenz. Arbenz was a left nationalist who attempted to create a resource socialism. He wanted to bring the fruits of um, the resources of Guatemala to the people of Guatemala. This was unacceptable to the United Fruit Company, an American multinational firm. It was unacceptable to the United States government um, as the CIA collaborated with a real thug by the name of Castillo Armas and they overthrew the government of Jacob Arbenz. Che Guevara and Hilda living in Guatemala during the coup d'etat uh, went out there and they tried to build some popular momentum to fight against the coup. Right toward the coup, the coup starts on the 18th of June 1954. It lasts for 11 days. On the about the uh, five, fifth or sixth day into the coup d'etat, Jacob Arbenz calls the unions in and says, let's arm the people. It was too late. You couldn't arm the people five or six days into a coup attempt. It was just too late. And the government was overthrown. Uh, a terrible government comes to power, not even a government, a dictatorship under Castillo Armas. They are given lists by the CIA and they start to execute leftists across the country. Uh, fortunately, because he is Argentinian uh, and Hilda is Peruvian, they are able to get uh, first asylum in the Argentinian embassy and then they are spirit spirited away to Mexico. They were very fortunate. Guatemalan communists, Guatemalan leftists, trade unionists and so on were massacred. Uh, don't forget that the CIA in the course of the 20th century uh, shaped 
you know, the possibilities of politics in countries like Guatemala, like Indonesia and so on, by massacring communists, by the uh, politicide, the, the genocide against communists. In a few weeks, I'm releasing a book from leftward called Washington Bullets, which tells the story of the coups by the CIA. The middle section is about this Guatemala coup. It's, it's a really horrible, horrible uh, incident, and the lesson is very important for us to learn. Che Guevara arrives in uh, Mexico, where having learned this lesson in uh, 1955, one evening, he meets Fidel Castro. Now, this is a very important meeting. Fidel Castro had was a young person from a prosperous family in, in, uh, in Cuba. He had attempted to fight against the dictator Batista. They had tried to seize a barracks in Moncada in, um, in Cuba. He was arrested. He was put on trial in 1953. He gives a superb speech, which you can see on the internet, called History Will Absolve Me. It's a very important speech. He makes breaks with bourgeois politics, and eventually when he is in Mexico, like so many revolutionaries before Castro and Che Guevara, they sit in Mexico and dream of a revolution in their own country. Che Guevara, very impressed by not only Fidel Castro, but Raul Castro and others, uh, decides to join them. They get a, a yacht, a little boat, which was owned by the anthropologist Rena Gren, uh, they bought this boat, which should only have carried 18. There were about 80 of them. It was totally overloaded, and they set off for Cuba. It was a quixotic mission. It was a mission of madness. But revolutions are made with a little bit of madness. This is clear. I want to stop here and just say this. That Che Guevara's lessons that he learned from Bolivia the lesson that revolution is what people need to become human. This is a very important lesson. And secondly, the lesson he learned from Guatemala, that if you don't make the revolution and make the people in charge of the revolution, if you just try to do changes from above, you will be destroyed by the United States, by imperialism, by you know the CIA and so on. These are two very important lessons that Che Guevara learns from his experience in Bolivia and his experience in Guatemala. When they arrive in Cuba, and now we come to the second part, we're going to see that in Cuba, um, the struggle was protracted. It was difficult. They arrive in Cuba. They are immediately attacked by the forces of Batista. Almost half of their band are either killed or captured. They rush off into the Sierra Maestra Mountains. Uh, it's very significant. It's a hard place to go. In those mountains, the revolutionaries become communists because they recognize that unless you immediately declare for the aims of the people around you, for peasants and workers, unless you immediately say we are going to fulfill your aims, your objectives, your desires, people will not come to your side. You can't fight for people abstractly. So concretely, the revolutionaries in the Sierra Maestra announced agrarian reform, land reform. That was the most concrete thing. Che, using his medical training, they built little hospitals for people. They conducted schools for people. Uh, here, the example of these revolutionaries was key. 
Ke she will use the term, we are a living example. If communists are not a living example in what they are doing, if they themselves don't provide a living example, then it's hard to attract people to their ranks. This was the lesson of the fight in Cuba. It wasn't just the military attacks against Batista's forces, the dictatorship, and so on. It was also that while you are conducting your revolutionary campaign, you must be tending to the people and you must take up the demands of the people. If you read Che Guevara's book called Guerrilla Warfare, these are the lessons you will learn. Very similar lessons as learned by Mao Zedong and the Chinese communists when they were in Yan'an, when they were fighting uh, against both the Japanese and the Kuomintang and others, they understood that if you don't take up the issues of the people immediately, um, you know, you will not be able to win the struggle for social transformation. So this was a major, um, you know, uh, issue that they learned. You've got to understand, these are all very young people. Uh, that's why I said it's important we are here, this is the you know, Democratic Youth Federation of India, they're very young people. Um, when uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, the French philosopher, went to Cuba and he wrote a little book about his time there in 1961, he writes, he says, these young people have a discrete cult of energy, he says. Um, you know, they are, their energy manifests itself. They're energetic people. They are not uh, depressive. They are out there uh, not only as Che Guevara would later write, not only building their internal richness, taking care of each other, but they have responsibility. They understand their responsibility to the world immediately. You see, it's a false distinction to talk about reform versus revolution. If you don't immediately tend to the needs of the people immediately, it's very difficult to win the people over for the revolutionary struggle. So these are integrated things, reforms and revolutions. They are dialectically linked. That was the lesson they learned in the mountains as they were fighting against the dictatorship of Batista. You see, an important point here is that when they took power in 1959, when these young uh, revolutionaries were able to take power. Important to remember that all communist or socialist revolutions from the revolution against the Tsarist Empire in 1917 right up to the Cuban Revolution, all revolutions took place in poor countries, in peasant societies. We're talking about the Tsarist Empire, 1917. We're talking about Mongolia, 1918. We're talking about Vietnam, 1945. China 1949, Cuba 1959. None of these were advanced industrial countries. So they had a penalty, um, you know, uh, against them when they took power. Because, you see, a communist society doesn't want to socialize poverty. You don't want everybody to be poor. You need to advance the productive forces. You need to produce material wealth for people. You know, you, in, in other words, if you're going to produce material wealth, you need to fight against imperialism. You have to prevent the theft of your resources, your goods, your labor to be donated to imperialism, to make other parts of the world rich. That's the first thing you have to do. So they had to confront imperialism immediately they had to say we will not pay imperialist rents and let our wealth be drained away to the United States. And for that reason, the U.S. government took an adverse position against the Cuban Revolution from 1959 onwards. In the same way as right after the Russian Revolution, 
the white armies supported by the British, the French, the United States attacked the young Soviet Republic in 1918. In the same way as the young Soviet Republic was attacked, the young People's Republic of China was attacked by the CIA from Thailand and so on. You know, in the same way, they attacked Cuba immediately. And Cuba, because of the lesson of Guatemala, armed the people. You know, they created committees in defense of the revolution. When the Americans tried to launch an invasion at the Bay of Pigs in 1961, it was ordinary Cuban people organized into the committees in defense of the revolution. Che Guevara, on the spot, at the beach, at the Bay of Pigs, fought off that invasion because the people, remember the example of Bolivia, were standing upright saying, we are free Cubans. We are not colonized by anybody. We are free Cubans. And secondly, the new government armed the people and said, you are responsible for your defense. This was the lesson of Guatemala. The lesson of Bolivia, the lesson of Guatemala comes together at the Bay of Pigs in 1961. And you see upright people fighting off an invasion because they had been armed by their government. Regardless of the fact that this was a poor country, it knew, it understood, it had to confront imperialism. It had to arm the people. People had to stand upright and they would eventually prevail. They would use whatever resources. But the journey was difficult. The embargo has been harsh against Cuba. It is an unforgiving embargo. The Soviet Union helped uh, from the 1960s till 1993. Che Guevara was an internationalist. Uh, you see, he very quickly went on a world tour after the revolution. The first country he visited outside Cuba was Egypt. Um, he met Nasser, he went to Gaza, met the Palestinians, comes to India, meets Nehru, goes to Bengal and so on. He was an internationalist. He understood the power of what had happened at Bandung in 1955 when the African and Asian countries met to create a new international order. In 1961, Cuba was the first Latin American country to join with African and Asian countries to create the non-aligned movement. Um, in, in Belgrade, Yugoslavia in 1961. And it was Che Guevara who at various non-aligned meetings of economic ministers, ministers of finance, who made some of the most important interventions arguing for the left flank uh, of the non-aligned movement of the anti-colonial struggle, trying to develop the left flank of this. He was an internationalist from the beginning, recognizing that Cuba could not survive if it understood itself as a revolution only on an island. Fidel agreed with him. He said that the Cuban revolution is not a revolution for Cuba. It's a revolution for the world. And that is the root of internationalism of Cuba. Cuban doctors traveling abroad now, helping other countries with Ebola, fighting against COVID-19. The reason Cubans are so internationalist is they understand that the world revolution is not, cannot be only built in one country. It must be built around the world. That was a lesson they learned. And also that Cuba itself could not survive without the solidarity of the people of the world. And it's imperative that the DYFI uh, provide the fullest, the complete solidarity with Cuba. We should have no daylight between ourselves and the Cuban people in their continuing struggle against imperialism, a struggle inspired by the legacy of Che Guevara. The last thing I want to talk about is I want to talk a little more about this idea of ethics, which I began with. Right after the revolution, there's a funny story that they're sitting around and Castro asks, 
you know, because they have to staff their various institutions, including the Ministry of Finance, the Central Bank. They, they were all in the mountains. They didn't have uh, people they could trust. So they're sitting in a room late at night and Castro asks, who among you is an economist? And Che Guevara puts his hand up. Now, we know Che Guevara was a doctor and not an economist. He puts his hand up. Uh, and he volunteers to run essentially the Ministry of Economics, the Ministry of Finance and so on. Eventually the Central Bank and later the Ministry of Industry puts his hand up. And later Castro asks him, why did you volunteer? You're not an economist. And he said, oh, I thought you meant is anybody in the room a communist? He said, I misheard you. Well, it's actually not uh, such a different word between communist and economist because what we're talking about is how do you build the capacity of a people, uh, a people in the so-called realm of necessity, a poor country trying to build socialism? How do you marshal resources? There was a lot of pressure on Che Guevara to push for material incentives, you know, the kinds of incentives we have in a capitalist society to move for material incentives. Che Guevara fought against this. He said there is a need to create moral incentives, volunteering, public action, putting yourself forward without uh, necessarily being, you know, allowing yourself to be a commodity. To volunteer is life itself. To be a part of your community, to help build your community, that's life itself. And I think this is an important point I want to, um, you know, end these remarks with. As we remember the very great Che Guevara uh, on the anniversary of his birth, uh, we need to remember him as a person who was young, at one time didn't know his own journey, who uh, went out there and learned from the experience of the Bolivian people. He learned from Hilda, he learned from Guatemala, he learned in the Sierra Maestra how to be a revolutionary. He, he put these things together in a book called Episodes of Revolutionary War. He learned in his travels around the world. Eventually, this would um, take him to the Congo where he attempted to duplicate the Cuban Revolution. And then he goes to Bolivia with the hope to make a second front. Um, you see, the reason he wanted to make a second front is in 1966, in the important text, uh, Message to the Tricontinental, he says there, writes there, that Vietnam is the front line against imperialism. And he says that we need to start one, two, three Vietnams. We need to take the pressure of Vietnam. And he hoped to convert Bolivia into another Vietnam. Sadly, it didn't work on the 9th of October, 1967, uh, Che Guevara uh, died. Uh, we lost an important figure, uh, one of uh, you know, Marxism and communism's great um, uh, symbols, emblems, a little bit like our own uh, Bhagat Singh. Uh, thank you very much.